You mean you want to hear me? So, so I was told um, that the baptism was so good, we're done. So I'm going to close in prayer, ready to stand and pray. And I'm serious. No, no. What? With a title like today, who wants to leave, right? If we could have only put it on the billboard out there, you know, we'd have had 50,000 people in here, you know. Fifty Shades of Grime, what's he talking about? So I have a couple of bad, uh, good things and bad. I got good news and bad news. Good news is God is alive and he's still working. Sorry you missed it. <laughs> Don't want you to miss it. And uh, the bad news is um, I've lost a relative and I have to fly to California. So next Sunday, I'm kind of agitated because I'm on a roll with this Ten Commandments series. I'm going to have to make it a like eight and a half commandments or I'm just worried about getting it done. So what's that? Lose the least important commandment, she says. Can I have all the board members come forward? <laughs> we need a special meeting here. So, um, so my, my, my humorous input on that was I tried to exhort you that if I'm not preaching, Pastor Tim or Pastor Derek, who actually is going to help us uh, next week, are worth hearing. So don't play hooky. And I heard that the, the, the uh, congregation went down a little bit. So we're going to install video surveillance. <laughs> I'm going to flag everybody. So, you know, it just sometimes it's circumstantial. But if you do things like that, can I just say it's very discouraging to those who minister. And, uh, and it's not right because we're called to worship God. And that's why we're here. So, and I haven't gotten to the... Fourth commandment, yeah, but we will, you know. You shall worship the Lord your God. Anyway, so let's uh, begin this morning by looking at the subject matter. And I want to begin, um, we have the, uh, let me put the title up. Uh, you get this, it's an it's a allusion <laughs> to a film that, uh, thank you for that <laughs> horrible film, that it was so funny, I saw a bunch of women being interviewed, and they're like, oh, we're all a flutter. And I'm like, okay, my office is available if you need counseling, but um, really the title that I've chosen kind of speaks to what happens when man takes the good gifts of God and defiles them. But let me begin with something. Um, I... I was heavily influenced by the man whose, whose um, widow just passed into the presence of the Lord. Uh, he was the missionary and the spiritual father of our family, really, and uh, had a lot of positive impact on me. So if I'm pretty broken still, don't blame him. He did the best he could with what he had. And, um, but Uncle, Uncle Al used to go visit when he was working among migrants, whether it was in uh, Florida, southern Florida, or whether it was in the, the fields of uh, Bakersfield, California, or when he went to Hawaii as a missionary, which everybody snickers about. Oh, yeah, hard assignment in Hawaii. He took me with him to visit some of his outreach at a leper colony. 
because they still have them there. And I remember um, his lecture to me about what's really wrong with those who have leprosy. And uh, I recently made a commitment to plow through a 500-page book. People uh, always think pastors love to read, so they give you books. And uh, I hate reading. I'm just being straight up. It's work for me. It's just hard work. I'd rather watch a movie. Anybody else like that? You can be honest with me. But I do it because you're supposed to. (laughs) And it's also what fertilizes your brain. It's really a very good thing to get in your life. But I forced myself as as an act of discipline to read Philip Yancey's book on the memoirs of Dr. Paul Brandt. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Uh, Who wrote Fearfully and Wonderfully Made and in the Image of God. He was a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, and his notes are reflective about the way God has made the body. And it's filled with brilliant insights and spiritual applications. But one of the things that Dr. Brandt confirmed is my uncle's hypothesis, which is when people make fun of a subject like leprosy, there used to be jokes when I was in junior high, and some of you probably remember them, uh, that people have their body parts falling off or whatever. That's not how leprosy works. Leprosy attacks the nervous system. Because it attacks the nervous system, people lose the sense of feeling. Therefore, they don't have pain when their hand is sitting in a live flame. They don't even realize it. When they have smashed their toe against some concrete embutment, they don't realize they've done damage. They keep walking on it until the whole foot has to be amputated. If you're not catching my drift here, it's this. Pain is a gift. Nobody likes it, but pain is a gift. When you're feeling pain and you cannot, I cannot teach on a subject like this today without striking some tender spots maybe in your soul. If you feel pain, that's a gift. Pain is a warning signal. Something's wrong. There's something wrong. You ought to have it looked at, huh? My wife and I have both recently been through some oral surgery. Pain is a gift. There's something wrong. And if I don't get it dealt with, and by the way, can I take it the further step? Because last week um, I checked to make sure I was as redemptive and as loving as I could be. And once in a while, my nasty side might come out. But what I'm, what I'm concerned about is that we at least risk seeing if God can heal us. And um, when you have an infection, for example, it's an ugly first thing in the morning. I hope all your breakfasts are settled. When you have an infection... When you've got something stuck under your skin and you notice that wonderful green hue glowing through your surface flesh, you have two options. When somebody pokes it and you go, ow, don't touch that. Well, you need to have that looked at. No, it's fine. Deep thinking. No, it's fine. What What do I have to do? I have to lance it. Oh, yeah, I knew you. I told you I wished your food was settled. Sorry. You have to get that out, and if you do it hard enough, the blood will start flowing and cleanse the wound. So the reason we 
I preach hard, and the reason I do is that we've got wounds. We've got wounds and brokenness and sin infections that we need to... And, and it's not like, oh, I want to get healed with Jesus. It's not like getting healed is not going to have some more pain involved because that Lansing moment is very stimulating. That moment is stimulating. The flowing of the blood may even be stimulating, but that's when the healing can finally begin. Am I making sense today? Very good. Fifty Shades of Grime. Let's look at our text for the day. So when I speak like this, it's because I've seen God take people from brokenness to freedom. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we don't still have painful memories. It doesn't mean, you know, when, when it says in the scripture that God throws all our sins in the ocean, he forgets all about it, it doesn't mean that God had a lobotomy. It means he's not holding that against you anymore. And when I'm free, it doesn't mean I don't remember some of the dirt I did. And, and in this area today, I'm personally guilty, historically. But I'm free of it. There's, there's a difference, right? I didn't forget it all, but I'm free of it. I'm never going to get through what we have today, so I'm going to have to just spread it out, I guess, or come back to the subject another time, or we'll never get to, you shall have no other gods before me, and I've got to get to that, right? So I'll do the best I can. First of all, the text. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And critical verse, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I told you this week is PG-13. If you're nervous, now's the time to go visit the ladies' room or the men's room. I am going to use at least one word that is sexually explicit. It's also the name of a village uh, in the Amish country, which is very nice. (laughs) So if you can't deal with that, then you shouldn't travel either. But the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's good stuff. huh? That's our first point. This was good stuff. Contrary to what people have thought, depending on church doctrine and what they've learned, that um, sex is restricted for certain things or whatever and any pleasure in it was wrong, that is not true. It should be obvious by what we just read. And by the way, he says, this is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I'll call her woman because she was taken out of the man. It's a wordplay in the Hebrew of uh, Adam, man, and woman, all right? Isha, Isha, and Isha. Never mind. The point being, they're one. They were designed to be one, and they're going to come back together as one. And here's the beginning of community. God is a community, if you will. He wants mankind to enjoy it, but there's something special about this. And here's the best part. They were both naked and were not ashamed because it's a right and good thing. Left not violated, it is a good thing. So let me read from my friend John White in his classic book from the 70s when we were going out of our skulls with stupidity. Eros defiled, and I hope I didn't lose an important page right there. 
This thing's so old, all the glue fell apart on it. Here's what it says. What should be a Christian's attitude towards sexual pleasure? Christian must bear three things in mind, one of which has already been mentioned. First, he must realize that God made his body, including the sexual parts, and that he equipped it with a nervous system designed to enable each of us to experience exquisite pleasures. It's what God had in mind. And specifically, the rapture of our spirits that will one day enjoy in a love relationship with Christ is actually reflected in this mystery. Second, by the way, I just realized, I don't think I plan to address those of us who are single. This might be a tough message and uh, because we have longings, right? I understand that. But God can help us even with those. Second, pleasure is a byproduct in life. Here's where we get it backwards in our culture because it seems to be the central God everybody's seeking to worship today. It's a byproduct, not a goal, a hedonist is someone for whom pleasure is the guiding principle. Third, sexual pleasure was designed to be enjoyed within marriage. The physical side of sex is only part of a larger whole. I stated at the beginning of this chapter that the first purpose of sex is the ending of isolation and loneliness. God said it wasn't good for man to be alone, so here's what he had in mind. But there are some principles to keep in mind as we dig our way through this. It is, in fact, a good thing. So there are some good principles involved. And God says, I want to make it clear right from the beginning, you shall not commit adultery. Now, we tend to lock that into only married people breaking and violating the rules. Martin Luther in his catechism makes it clear that it's broader than that, which is why the Christian church historically has always held a very high sexual ethic. And I mentioned last week that they won the Roman Empire on their sexual ethics. Roman Empire was really off. Some of the words we'll look at later show how off they were. And so we actually brought order and sanctity back to the relationship between man and woman. We've lost a lot of that today. In fact, it's turned upside down. But I think that's a pretty good rule. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's a good rule? Last week, we we looked at uh, conversing with Ashley Madison. You remember? Ashley Madison being the premier, the premier adultery website. I'm going to quote from them in just a couple of minutes. But before I do, let me read from this book Andy Comiskey wrote. I mentioned my friend um, Gary, who was here, who ministers to those who wrestle with same-sex attraction. Uh, That ministry was started by this man, Andrew Comiskey, Strength in weakness. He makes this profound statement based on this good stuff side of the story, right? The good stuff. And that is this. The sexual act sealed Adam and Eve's reunion. It symbolizes their oneness and satisfied their aloneness. Such is the power of sexual intercourse. It makes us one with another for life. Though we continue to live as male or female, listen carefully, though we continue to live as male or female with many others, sex renders the marital relationship exclusive. When we marry someone and consummate that marriage with intercourse, we declare a unique oneness with this other. Until parted by death, this one will be primary and therefore others secondary in the working out of our humanity on earth before God as male and female. I was in seminary and I was listening to these 
hard, I'm, I'm just going to say it, hardcore feminist um, philosophical poems and statements that were saying husband and wife didn't matter if we're face-to-face or facing out. It doesn't matter. We're so open. And wouldn't you know, those who were advocating this, their marriages fell apart. There's a shock. Even in a seminary, we were dropping the bar that God had established. Comiskey goes on, though, and says this. Until parted by death, this one in marriage will be primary and others secondary in the working out of her humanity on earth before God is male and female. Yet in order for intercourse to be constructive, it must be preceded by a conscious commitment to unite with the other on levels less binding than the physical. Listen carefully. We must first seek to know this other with our clothes on. (laughs) Please. Revealing who we are on an emotional and intellectual and spiritual levels, then we can determine if in truth this is the one with whom we will choose to share an exclusive lifetime bond. The man and woman were naked and were not ashamed. That is a picture not just of sex. That's a picture of openness, complete openness, no secrets. You can know me. I can know you. I'm not hiding anything. The worst thing you can do if you're entering into a marriage is hide your sexual history. Causes more damage than you can imagine. See, preachers can talk like this because we're always trying to patch up the mess after the fact. Total openness, totally getting to know each other. That takes work, have you noticed? That takes some effort, takes some work. And uh, we move ahead too fast, and our culture encourages instant hooking up. And so we, we uh, lose our dignity, the sanctity of marriage, and the blessing that it was designed to be gets blown out of the water. Downgrading it, both not only sex, but the dignity of man himself. Now, I'm going to slide this one very quickly because there's a reference of having a wrong view about the body in the New Testament period. The Greeks, for example, thought that the body was worthless. Our spirit will exist maybe afterward and the body should just be burned up. The resurrection undermines all of that thinking, that God invented man and the body is a good thing. Therefore, we honor God in our bodies, right? So here's what it says. There were some who were trying in the church to forbid marriage. In other words, they thought this isn't good and abstaining from foods. It's the legalism that had crept in. Things which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Is that clear enough? Everything created by God is good. The world that he made is good. Mankind that he made is good. Male and female. Male and femaleness is good. You're all scared to death this morning, aren't you? Male and femaleness is good. Our culture is confused out of their skulls on this. And there's some explanations how we get here. The answer, if I'm going to get healed, is not to say that's healthy and normal. It's to say, here's what's healthy and normal. What got broken that kept you from getting there? So, John White, one more time. Page 57. I had to write that down or I'd get messed up. Hold on one second. Here it is. Here's the problem with sexual ethics in the Bible. 
the boot, uh, while it is true that wrong belief can produce wrong actions, people think wrongly, and that does happen, let's just be honest about this. It is even more true that our desire to do wrong makes us seize on any ethical system which justifies us. We distort scripture because we do not like what it says, not because we have found a superior ethic. Our ethics aren't working. We're not making the culture we live in happier. Have you noticed? It's not getting happier. It's getting harder. But the problem is not because scripture is wrong. It's because we don't like what it says. We have not found a superior ethic, and he quotes 1 John, men love darkness, or John, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's our inclination. The problem is not with the good gift God has given us. The problem is with us developing 50 shades of grime. It's misusing and soiling a beautiful, clean canvas. That's the problem. The Greeks did it. The Romans did it, and Americans do it. So let's talk about some grimy stuff. Can we do that? I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this. Here we go, grimy stuff. We had too many good things going on today. That was, that's a good problem, right? It's a good problem. So let's talk about misuse, right? Paul recognized we can have good things that we misuse. So he speaks to the Corinthians... By the way, if you've never heard this, the Corinthian church had to get lots of lectures because they were one of the most off-base groups. So badly, uh, Corinth was such a... Well, it's no different than today. We have certain cities that we name. You know, what goes, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, places that are identified with certain sinful behaviors. Same thing, Corinth... To call somebody a Corinthian or to Corinthianize, yeah, let me, let me fix that, uh, Corinthianize someone meant to make them immoral, sexual, loose canons, if you will. So Paul is addressing their issues, and here's what he says. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them, yet... Even though these are good things that you can use or abuse, the body is never for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's the whole, it's in the context reminding us of resurrection. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the proof that he's going to raise you from the dead. Therefore, glorify God in your body, right? Anybody remember those verses? It's all there. It's all there. Glorify God in your body. What I want to point out is that what we feel sometimes may feel good, but not be right. Well, we don't talk much about it anymore today. Even in the church, I don't hear a lot about it. It's a thing called temptation, which we used to think we should resist. Not anymore. <laughs> Listen to this last thing from uh, John White, Eros Defiled. Someone's saying, but it feels so right. I knew we were supposed to be together. I knew we were supposed to sleep together. I, it felt, oh, it was such an event. Yes, dear heart, he says. And the thing itself is wholesome. Perhaps you didn't expect me to say that. It's not copulation that is bad, but the way you use it. Good food is wholesome 
to have a steak dinner when it might have been better to complete an assignment can be justified in exactly the same way. When you sigh contentedly as you move back from the steakhouse, back to the car, you can say with profound conviction, thank you, honey, that was just great. We needed that. I'm sure it was right to put off the assignment. And you may be right or wrong. But one thing is certain. Eating steak in itself is perfectly wholesome. It is not immoral, unclean, or dirty. What makes it right or wrong has to do with the circumstances under which you ate it. Your positive feelings are unreliable guides, especially where uncompleted assignments are involved, just as they are in the case of premarital sex, for example. Feeling of rightness proves nothing except to the person who wants it to. We deceive ourselves is what I'm saying. We are able, capable, sometimes very good at deceiving ourselves. All right. There are a bunch of words that we showed um, a couple of weeks ago uh, on the subject, and it came out of the text in Galatians. You may remember this. Deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, envy, and drunkenness. I just want to mention, um, I, I don't think we have time to unpack them all, in one of the lists, if you have a King James Version, they add the word adultery specifically. It's a very precise term. The word that really leads most of the text is this one, immorality. And let me just give you the Greek word. It's called porneia. Does that ring any bells? Porneia. Any kind of immorality outside of the marriage bond certainly has an application for the subject that is named after it, porn, which is a harmless pastime, right? except for the women who cope with men who are trapped in it. It's not very harmless in that case. So, see, God means what he says. I'm looking for your well-being. I want to bless you and free you from things that undermine the joy that I intended for you. Let me just read through the words that are used. One is porneia. That's self-explanatory at this point. I think any form of sexual activity outside of the marriage bond the next word that is uh, used, impurity, akatharsia. You've heard of being cathartic, getting a cleansing, if you will. This is without a cleansing. So the meaning is impurity, impurity, or, um, you know, dirty, defiled. And another word is like unto it, uh, sensuality. Boy, there's a word. Anybody ever use the word lascivious anymore? I mean, that's like a real antique, isn't it? Listen. You, did you? <laughs> 12 points for you, sister. <laughs> Yay, Chelsea. I used lascivious in that guy's face. Anyway, that's good. Licentiousness, indecency, also translated sensuality or debauchery. And the reason I threw in the last part of that portion, they had a whole bunch of lists of other things too, but carousing. Don't you like that one? carousing, which is reveling, also translated orgy. So there's a connection between the carousing and the sexual implications. Now, let me just go through a little list just for the fun of it. Yeah, we're having fun, right? Anyway, the words describe indecency. They imply shamelessness. Shamelessness insolence. 
What I'm trying to communicate is I think God has a very strong opinion about twerking in public. <laughs> about parades rallying and demonstrating all kinds of vile behavior. Even if you believe that that's allowed and a good thing or a morally upright thing to do, to do it in public shows how we have degraded the dignity of man and woman especially. There are things that just don't make sense to me in my culture. Why, on the one hand, I can affirm liberation, but I'm not at war with the pornography industry. I just don't get that. Why, I'm not at war with the sex trade around the world. I don't get that. What kind of a psychological disconnect has happened? The value of women being under constant attack, the exact opposite of what God had in mind uh, when he created Adam and Eve, and designed marriage. Let me read this. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? I'm reading this again. Martin Luther, here's what he says. We should fear and love God so that we lead a chaste and decent life. What, what planet or century are you living in? A decent and chaste life. Oh, my goodness. We should fear and love God so that we lead a chaste and decent life in word and deed. Can I also throw in thought, and that husband and wife each love and honor the other. There it is, each love and honor the other. It was to be a glorious thing, not a war zone. But there's one more thing that he says, by way of application, what does God mean by adultery? He, he pulls out the stops. This is the 1500s, by the way, brothers and sisters, 1500s. Adultery, God means, not only the actual breaking of the marriage vow, but also every unchaste desire, word, or deed in matters of sex by the married and the unmarried. Okay, so, are you all happy? Are you all mad at me? Don't care. Anyway, so I want to wind this down, even though I've got like 18 pages of stuff here. Okay, we could easily, you see with what we just looked at, come, come up with 50 or 5,000 shades of grime, couldn't we? And today we're more talented at it because we have so many opportunities, so many tools like the Internet and what have you. Speaking of the Internet, here's a line off of Ashley Madison's website. I just want you to hear this. Listen. Once in a while, something happens. A fleeting glance, an accidental touch... A return smile. <laughs> These moments show us in a glimpse something different, something more. We think about them and what they could mean for us. The path not taken and the life not lived. Yeah. In other words, your self-actualization is the center of the universe. Never mind the wreckage. Never mind the dead bodies, the delinquent children, the suicides, everything else that's going to come out of your selfish, sick act. Never mind that. Just, oh, you know, the little gag there, like the road less traveled. You know, it's like, yeah, please don't travel it. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to end with a couple of things real quick because I, I want to make sure my wife said, 
do keep it short because I'm on duty again downstairs, which, by the way, we need to change. Today, um, we had a witness that ministering in junior church bears fruit. Oh, no. Okay, go ahead. Please. Yes. Because all of your, um, he's not really redefining. He's explaining the application. That's what, huh? That is his interpretation. But if you flesh out all the words in scripture about sexuality, it is affirmed that that is what God had in mind. Why did Jesus say a man lusts after a woman? He's already committed adultery in his heart. So he's looking for purity mentally, physically, and spiritually. Okay, so that's, it's, that's what catechisms are. Catechisms are, here's what it means. Yes, it's between married people. Here's the application, which is a lot bigger, which is why when we want to be legalists, we shoot ourselves in the foot because, hey, I never committed adultery. Oh, yeah, but you left 15 women wrecked. Oh, boy, here we go, ma'am. Every act starts in the mind. Yes, ma'am. Every act starts in the mind is what she was saying. So speaking of that, you're all going to defend me from my wife? You going to help me? Okay. Daughter's identity not welcome in Dear Abby. I have recently started disclosing to close friends and family that I am asexual, someone who experiences no sexual attraction for any person. And blah, 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 blah. Mom, one, uh, I'm, repressed by, I'm repulsed by the thought of sexual intercourse. My mother acts as if I, if I don't have children, I won't be as welcome. She even suggested I could marry a gay man so sex wouldn't be an issue. This girl has a lot of issues, and they come from home. But anyway, and my friend continues to pressure me into dating, saying, oh, you just haven't met the right one. Abby, I have no clue how to maintain contact with them as they seem unwilling to let my sexual identity be my business. She wisely said, you made it their business when you told them. But number one, we're assuming something that isn't even true. You're not asexual. The minute you came out of the womb... Your sex was identified. There are some very sad circumstances where it is not clear biologically. I understand those as tragic, difficult circumstances. But that's not what we're talking about here. What you're talking about is something that has impacted you that has your disinterest in sex. That's a temptation or a feeling that does not define who you are. Thank God for that, for those of us who are believers. I had another one I wanted to go about, this guy, Milo Yanagopoulos, or whatever his name was, that got in trouble recently. The point is, we act as though the things that have happened to us, tragic things that have happened to us, sexual abuse, or my own bringing abuse on myself by my wrong activities, as if that has no effect on who I am or or what I feel. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling temptation. That doesn't mean I'm that. My friend Gary, who was here, still struggles. He's married with two kids. Doing his ministry, he still struggles occasionally with same-sex attraction. That doesn't make him gay. You follow? I know this is politically incorrect. And if political correctness could rescue us, I would be all in. But it doesn't work. 
So let me just hit you with these three things as I close, because I am going to keep my marriage healthy. Three erroneous assumptions. You have, any of you note-takers? I think I looked at Galatians 5. Yes, good. Three deceptions. I'm going to end there. Oh, you want to have fun? I'll do this real quick. You know that scandalous behavior, that insolent outward action? It's described in this, um, this proverb. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Now, by the way, this is male or female. This is not sexist. It applies to men or women. Ready? Now, that is what we call a metaphor. She eats and says, I've done no wrong. It's not talking about eating. So to help you out, I've got a new one. Here it is, new trivia. Equally amazing how an adulterous man or woman can satisfy his or her sexual appetite, shrug her shoulders, say, hey, what? You remember the wolf in Shrek? (laughs) He's in Shrek's bed. He comes in. He goes, what are you doing here? What? Why? Like, who the heck are you to question me? Why? I ain't done anything wrong. That's how bad off we are. Right? And and God forbid any believer ever do that. Anyway, here's the three things. Three erroneous assumptions. Let me make it fast. One, deceptions. One, gratification is necessary. We can't possibly control our sexual urges. It's unhealthy to control them. Baloney. It's unhealthy to let them go out of control, actually. Either you're an evolved organism or you're a created moral agent. You want no dignity? Be a blob. If you want dignity, be a created human being. You have a moral choice. You cannot expect kids to refrain from this, you know, in school. We can't expect them to refrain. But if it comes to overeating, we can speak into their life. You should stop overeating. Why? There's another checkout. Sexual liberation is a good thing. That's number two. Freedom and truth, uninhibited, no consequences. If we do whatever we want, our self-actualization is the number one issue. Forget about the wreckage. We already touched on that one. That's number two deception. Liberation is a good thing. It's not a good thing. Sexual, sexual liberation, okay? Gratification must be done. No. Liberation is a good thing? No. Last one. Redefining it. Redefining it. It's not what I said. We talk to kids. Are you, are, are you sexually active? Oh, no. What they mean is I haven't had intercourse. They've had something else and a whole lot of other stuff going on. I never had any sex with that woman, you know. I, I never did any such thing. He just redefined what is sex. You liar. I wonder if the CIA is going to come in and visit me. I don't care. Anyway, it's a lie, right? You're redefining it so that it doesn't mean what it clearly says. So enough said. Now, let me give you the good news in two minutes. Great stuff. This is the great stuff. You may have already done damage to yourself. There's a God who loves you and will forgive you will purify you and even change your brokenness. My history was unclean. I know what I'm talking about. That's why I'm so passionate about it, because I saw God take a jerk and free him. And, you know, when you have done things you shouldn't, you've been with people you shouldn't be, it's hard to erase that. You've got imprinting in your head. You're damaging yourself. Oh, I didn't even get to the verse 
Every other sin is outside the body. The man who sins sexually is sinning against his very being, his psyche, and his body. There's something you're doing to yourself. You're fracturing yourself. You're cheating yourself out of the one unique bond where the greatest amount of joy can be. I've experienced that by the grace of God, not because I deserve it, with my wife. But you know what God even did? And people say, oh, that's impossible. All those memories and those things. Any, anybody in this room ever get troubled in their dreams with dirty stuff? Okay, I, at least three honest people in the room. <laughs> and as I learn to discipline myself and ask the Holy Spirit to purify me, he wiped that stuff out of my databanks. I don't mean I don't remember it. I didn't have a lobotomy. I'm saying free, free to enjoy. You know, one of my... my Now I am going to be in trouble. One of my verses for my life was drink from your own cistern. It's a whole sexual section of the proverb. It's saying love your wife and let her satisfy you. Drink from your own cistern. I determined I'm going to do that mentally, emotionally, and physically. And by golly, brothers and sisters, it works. So here it is. Here's the good news. Here's the great stuff. This is a hard one. Keep your shirt on. No pun intended. Here we go. That's not the one. Keep going, Hako. Don't you know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, da-da. What do all these words mean? Don't have time to unpack them all right now. Just let it speak. Keep your shirt on. No thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, is that politically incorrect? Dude, you bet. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of God. What's the great stuff? I was that. You could call me. I was a fornicator. I'm just telling you straight up, I was. I'm not that anymore. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. I've been cleansed. My behavior's changed. It doesn't mean that as a Christian you don't struggle still. It doesn't mean you may not fall a couple of times. But I'm in a new direction. You were washed. You were justified. You were declared righteous before God. He's cleansed you and he's sanctifying you and changing you. That's the good news. You don't have to be in that first catalog, even if it's in your life and in your history. That's not you anymore because you're tempted or you feel it. That doesn't make you it. Whoa, I was loud, wasn't I? Can anybody say amen to that? You're on a new path. He's freeing you up. That's the good news. That's the gospel. There's power in it. Let's stand together. Help my brothers and sisters today, Lord Jesus, where you need to apply your grace and heal them up and strengthen them, give them joy. Let them um, embrace that they are that new creation, not that old thing. For those who have not entered in, draw them, Holy Spirit, bring new birth, like we heard about in the baptism tank today. New birth. You were one of those. You were a thief, a sneak, a mean girl. A dirty guy, a drug dealer. You were one of those, but you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified by the spirit of the living God. Let it be so here in the name of Jesus, we pray. Put your angels around your people and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.
Hey, man. So I know you said you don't like reading. I've been trying to get don't do this to me. Well, this is the one.